lift up a shout of praise for Jesus. When our praise and prayers go up, the things of heaven come down. So will you pray with me? Jesus, right here and right now, we want to see the things of heaven. We pray that we would see your power, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would know how welcomed and wanted you are in our church. Oh God, would your love just reign on our friends and families and coworkers and on our cities. We pray boldly in Jesus' name that we would see a move of God that we could not even imagine, even if we were told right now, because we believe you're the God who moves. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. And one more time, lift up a shout of praise for Jesus, who has no rival and no equal. No beginning and no end. Woo! And let's say hi to all of our Denver locations, Brussels, Belgium, Austin, Texas, all three God Behind Bars campuses, and all the watch parties watching this in cities and on continents all over the world. All of you Red Rockers out there, welcome home. Are you happy to be alive? You feel God in this place? You love Jesus? Just checking. You grateful for our lead pastors, Sean and Jill Johnson? Me too. You grateful to call this church your home? The church is not a building you come to. It's a family you belong to. And call me biased, but this is the best family. It is. I'm grateful for you guys. I'm honored to be here. I love preaching about Jesus. So thank you for showing up. Thank you for bringing your expectancy. And I just have, I have big expectations for today that God's about to move and heaven's about to speak. And if you want God, you will get him. Amen? Hey, give away two winks and you may take a seat. Worship team, thank you. Love you guys. Scott Miller, you don't go anywhere yet. You give me three more minutes because I actually have a little surprise for you. Okay, so church, I talked a pretty big game about puka shell necklaces two weeks ago. Um, there's one picture I forgot to put up. So a lot of you, probably all of you don't know this, but myself and Scott Miller were in a high school punk rock band together, a band called Chasing Rabbits. Ever heard of it? Surprise, more of you haven't heard of it. We literally had dozens of fans. And this was the picture on the back of our album cover. Scott, that is you and me, buddy, rocking the puka shell necklaces. That is Scott Miller on the left, looking off into the distance like he's too cool to care that he is on an album cover. Oh, that is where it all began. And look at us now. What happened? Oh, I love you, man. We're going to leave that up for the duration of this sermon. I'm kidding. Take it down. Trust me, I understand how big of a stumbling block that is, okay? Well, if that picture didn't get you fired up, don't worry, because these two verses from Ephesians will. And if you need some caffeine for your soul today, this is it. Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. Wake up from your sleep. This is to the church, by the way. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step, use your head, and make the most of every chance you get. 
These are desperate times. And I can sum that up by saying this, the purpose of your life is not to arrive safely at death one day. Make the most of every chance you get, of every breath that God gives you. And I don't have a sermon title today as much as I really just have an announcement to make. And the announcement is this, the time is now. The time is now. And I say this with humility, please hear my heart, and in us for them kind of spirit, but the secular gospel that the world has been preaching is failing. And a space is being created for the church to step up and be the church and do what we do best. And my announcement to us, Red Rocks, is the time is now. So let's pray one more time. God, I pray a dangerous prayer for myself and anybody else who needs it. Anybody who needs just to wake up, who needs a a sense of urgency back, who needs some passion or desperation or, or, or some grittiness, would you just pour refreshing cold water over our souls today and help us see the time really is now. And we once again ask that you would just be with your precious sons and daughters in Haiti and Afghanistan right now. We pray this collectively in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. I really do love you. See you in 23 minutes, all right? On the final weekend of April in 2017, the fire Festival was scheduled to take place in the Bahamas on the island of Exuma that once upon a time belonged to Pablo Escobar. Billy McFarland and Ja Rule himself planned and promoted what was supposed to be the greatest party ever thrown. It was marketed to millennials with beautiful pictures of the island, luxury villas and five-star meals. It was supposed to be a music festival featuring bands like Blink-182 and Major Lazer. Celebrities and influencers shared it on Instagram and it caught so much traction that the entire festival, the whole island, sold out in literally less than two days. And day passes sold for $1,500 and the VIP luxury villa package sold for twelve. dollars thousand dollars. And what baffles me is how millennials paid for that. I have one theory, mom and dad, all the truth stings. The promise was for the greatest party of all, of all time. Come and live large in the Bahamas, bottomless drinks and the greatest food you've ever tasted, celebrities and supermodels, luxury villas and live music. Well, not to slam Billy and Ja but they are either scam artists or the world's worst event planners, like ever. And McFarland is now in jail for wire fraud, and this whole story is featured in a Netflix documentary called Fire. It's with a Y instead of an I, and certainly I would never promote such a documentary from this platform. I'm not doing that, I'm just saying it's so good, okay? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And so eerie. So eerie, because as the young adults began showing up to the island, they found out fast that the brochure lied and the promise was not the experience. And the luxury villas were actually cheap disaster relief tents 
and rain-soaked mattresses set up in gravel parking lots, and the five-star meals were cheese sandwiches in styrofoam containers. Every band that was supposed to be there canceled. Every supermodel that endorsed it was not there, and hundreds of people were stranded for days without water or bathrooms. Church, the hype is rarely the reality. And the fire Festival was truly the greatest party that never happened. And to me, it is a perfect metaphor for the promise of Babylon, okay? So follow me here. This is gonna get a little teachy just for a moment. Babylon, 600 years ago, 600, no, 600 years BC, so before the time of Jesus, 2,600 years ago, I can do math. This was the time of Daniel, you know, the guy from the lion's den? Okay, that's when Babylon ruled the known world. And the reason this matters to us 2,600 years later is because Babylon is still very much the air that you and I breathe, okay? So follow me here. Babylon was a city. Babylon is now a symbol. Babylon was a locality. Babylon is now a mentality, You're like, how many more ways can you say that? I got two more ways for you, Brody. Babylon, let's see, it was a kingdom, but Babylon is now a current. It is a current that you and I live and work in. Babylon was a place, but much like the fire festival, Babylon is now an empty promise full of a lot of hype. And the origins of all of it go back to the moment Adam and Eve ate that fruit. Keep in mind, the power was not in a magical apple. The power was in a decision to pick something else over God. So this is the Babylon motto, my way, not God's way. My way and not God's way. And from that moment on, this invisible force that is as real as gravity was released and unleashed onto our planet and into the heart of every human being. And if you go, just to, just flip a few more pages in Genesis, and you're gonna get to Genesis chapter 11, and this is the story of the Tower of Babel. And here's verse four. Then they said, come and let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And so once again, so we can do this our way, so we can find what we're looking for, so that we can make a name for ourselves. The devil has always hedged his bets in our self-interests. Like he knows if I can just sort of promote them, oh, they will buy whatever I'm selling. A couple verses later, verse nine, that is why it was called Babel, which by the way is where we get the word Babylon. Because there, the Lord confused. Somebody say confused. Confused the language of the whole world. So the word Babel means confusion. If you follow any way other than God's way, it will eventually lead to confusion and the end result will ultimately be chaos. And I'm, I'm so convinced this is what we are experiencing right now from division to this low-grade chronic hysteria and panic to global conflict and mass shootings. It is the corporate fruit of centuries of saying, we will do this our way. 
from Eden to Babel, all the way to Babylon, all the way to the culture that Jesus was born into, all the way up through history to the Enlightenment just a few hundred years ago where humanity on a massive scale for the first time ever took its eyes off of the divine and essentially said, God, forget you, we're gonna do this our way, and by the way, I'll call you if there's an emergency, which is why as long as there is prosperity covering a country, churches are empty until tragedy strikes. The largest weekend of church percentage-wise in the United States history was September 16, 2001. We will make a name for us. Isaiah 47 is prophetically titled the fall of Babylon in your Bible. It's speaking to the city and eventually it will also speak to the symbol. And verse eight says this, now listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am and there is none besides me. Oh, I am and there is none besides me. Oh, I'll do anything for a little giggle. I'm not a huge end times guy, okay? I'm just not. I believe Jesus is coming back soon and I live with a lot of urgency and passion because of it. I'm just a simpleton. So when I say I'm not a a huge end times guy, all I'm trying to say is, If I had it my way, I'd say, hey guys, let's stop debating about something we'll never figure out and let's just build the church and introduce people to Jesus because Jesus is coming back, okay? Not a huge end times guy, but the one thing, the one thing Jesus said about the end times that hit me, he said, in the final days, people will be lovers of self, right? An interesting observation that's a little eerie to me when I think about it is we now live in a day and age where it is normal for half of the planet to run and promote a page completely dedicated to themselves. And I'm not knocking social media. I have an Instagram. It is effective and awesome and fun and helpful in so many ways. This is not directed at persons. It's an observation about people that Jesus said in the final days, people will be lovers of selves. And not just out there, it seeps into the church. When church becomes completely about, like, God, what can you do for me? And never about, Jesus, I just want you. Babylon is a symbol and at its center is self. And the ultimate picture of it is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Check out his story in Daniel chapter four, starting in verse 28. All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And if it's all the same to you, I'm just gonna call him King Neb because I have to say his name like 10 times, okay? So all this happened to King Neb. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of his palace in Babylon. Nothing good ever happens for kings walking on the roof of their palaces in the Old Testament. It just always goes bad. And he says this. Imagine just say, you're by yourself and you say this. Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? But then even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Neb. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And then, keep reading Daniel 4 this week. It's crazy. The story gets completely crazy. 
King Nebuchadnezzar loses everything. Daniel says, if, if Neb's life and legacy were a tree, then God just cut that thing down to the stump, all right? And on top of losing everything else, he also loses his mind. Remember, what does Babylon mean? Confusion. And he goes from the palace out into the wilderness where he lives with literal animals for years. And just a quick observation, I think when you live solely just for yourself for so long, and if I feel it, well, then that's true and I'm gonna do it. That that spirit eventually dehumanizes you because that's what animals do. Whatever they feel, they just do. But human beings made in the image of God have the ability to live for something greater. We've been given dominion over our feelings to be the master of them and not the other way around. So King Neb is driven from his people. The Bible says he eats grass with the oxen. He's covered in dew. His hair starts to look like Conrad's hair. I'm kidding, that was petty. I'm just jealous, Conrad, of your golden locks. And the final detail it gives about his appearance, he doesn't cut his fingernails for seven years. It says his fingernails start to look like the talons of a bird. I'm like, imagine seeing this fool's testimony up on one of these screens. Because you know where King Nebuchadnezzar is today? He's in heaven. Because remember, God left the stump. And I actually love how this man's story ends. Verse 34, at the end of that time, I, King Neb, raised my eyes to heaven and my sanity, opposite of confusion slash babble, was restored to me. And then I praised the most high and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Because unlike Babylon, his dominion is an eternal dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So King Neb, in my opinion, is the poster boy. He is the poster boy of the promise of Babylon. I mean, that guy is on the cover of the brochure because Babylon has a gospel. It really does. All that word gospel means comes from the Greek word euangelion, and it just simply means a good news announcement, okay? So I wanna show you something called the secular gospel. And the announcement of the secular gospel is this. You don't need God. You don't need God. Just buy this, move here, try that, do you, and you will find what you're looking for. There's a pastor in Melbourne, Australia named Mark Sayers, and I watched him compare the secular gospel of Babylon side by side with the Jesus gospel because it has very similar contours, just a different context. And once again, critical for us 2,600 years after King Neb and Daniel because this is the air that we breathe. So I wanna show you this. I think you're gonna find this really, really interesting as we look at these two things side to side. So in the Jesus gospel, the story begins in Eden, right? This is the only two chapters of your entire Bible where everything is awesome. And something deep inside your heart like hears echoes from Eden. Why? Because your heart was made for Eden eternal goodness, and even Romans chapter eight would say, the rocks are crying out in silence. In other words, we know why the wolf howls, and we know why the earth quakes and shakes. It's almost as if creation remembers Eden 
and is groaning and yearning, sometimes even violently, to get back to it. The secular gospel would simply call this your true self or your inner child, to which I would say absolutely. It's just different language describing the same human longing. And this is why you hear people say all the time, you know what, I just need to go, I need to go camping and kind of get back to my inner child. I need to kind of, I need to get away and go backpack Europe and, and find myself again. And once again, absolutely, this is a human thing. We all somehow understand something is off in me and around me. It's not supposed to be this way. I'm not supposed to be this way. Things are supposed to be different. And my question, my question for you is, says who? Like, how do you know that? Because you're right, but have you ever wondered why you're so positive about that? Something is informing you. Call it Eden. Call it your true self. This is who I should be. This is how it should be. So what happened? Number two, in the Jesus gospel, we call the problem the fall. This is Genesis 3, the worst chapter in the Bible, where the serpent tempts Eve and asks her an eerily familiar question. Did God really say I mean, because he's about him, I'm about you. And I just, he's holding out on you. And I just would hate for you to miss out. I want you to, to notice even in paradise how easy it is to convince humans they're missing out. And they bought it, and so do we all the time. This is what is called the fall when picture-perfect paradise is fractured and harmony is lost and things are no longer the way it should be in me or around me. Now, in the secular gospel, this is described with trauma, trials, and anything tough. So once upon a time, you were your true self, but then that thing happened, that trauma, that divorce, or that abuse, or that incident, and you know what? Absolutely, Absolutely, and then the trials, the trials, anything that, that makes life harder than it should be. I mean, how about a pandemic to keep life from how you know it could be, right? But notice, it doesn't stop there. Babylon is now preaching that anything tough is also the problem. So from working hard to that necessary confrontation with a friend to even long-term commitment to expectations placed on you, to authority from governing figures or leaders or pastors or even God himself. These things serve only one purpose, to oppress you and keep you from your inner child or your true self. And what you need to do at all costs is to shake that off, like Taylor Swift would say, get out from beneath it and get back to that because it's only robbing you. It's only robbing you. And this is where these two narratives sort of start to diverge because while the result in the Jesus gospel is called sin, the result in the secular gospel is unhappiness. We just call it unhappiness because Babylon, in Babylon, your personal happiness is absolutely everything. Except we've dramatically redefined happiness to pleasure. And biologically speaking, a lot of you know I'm a science nerd. Happiness is based on serotonin in your brain that creates this sort of long-term contentment. 
Pleasure, on the other hand, is dependent on dopamine and endorphins, and it's made by God, and it is good, and it is awesome, but it's fleeting by definition. And so when that glass is empty, you need another drink. And when the romantic butterflies fly away, you need a new relationship. And when that house or that car or that city stops working for you, you need the next one. It is an infinite, infinite hamster wheel. Babylon needs you to need more. It needs you to need more. And let me just say this to you. Your desire to be happy is actually from God. That's a good desire. In case you grew up in a church or a household where you were taught, God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants you to be holy. As if those two things aren't deeply, deeply intertwined with each other. Like Jesus' favorite song is, if you're happy and you know it, repent, (laughs) obey. Why? Because I said so. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of people's stories. Might be why you hate church or think God wants to rob from you. Maybe that's why you think, I can either be a Christian or be happy. I'm telling you, God is more for your happiness than even you. But the correct definition, this long-term happiness related to your joy and contentment that is intertwined with holiness and can't be snatched away from you with a phone call or a bad day. So if the secular gospel preaches basically finding yourself, the Jesus gospel preaches dying to yourself, which interestingly enough is actually the route to really finding yourself. The one who loses their life for me will be the one who finds it. Another interesting observation, a lot of times, and I'll go first, this is me, we solve our unhappiness problem with sin. At least we try to. It works until it doesn't. What's interesting is that sin will take you further than you want it to go, make you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. And ironically, what you pay with the most is happiness. So essentially, there's two things that need to be solved here. The sin problem, which I can't solve, and getting back to Eden, which means the stage is essentially set for a solution, which is the reason we gather every single Sunday It's what we sing about, it's what we celebrate. It is the good news, the gospel, the good news announcement of Jesus Christ who left everything to come here and do for us what we would never be able to do on our own and live a perfect life and impute to us that perfection and take from us the sin problem. All of our sin, past, present, and future who is now getting us back to Eden. This is salvation. The secular version of that is essentially what I will call the Babylon promise. And here's the Babylon promise, that you can rediscover your true self by making your feelings your God, that you can solve your unhappiness with everything you see on those Instagram ads, every billboard and every brochure. Babylon's solution for your unhappiness is essentially more of what you already have. It's just treadmill after treadmill after treadmill. But it promises. I mean, the hype is awesome. And that's why like so many people are moving to cities like Denver and Austin right now. 
There's a real Babylon hype brochure kind of invitation. Come here and you will find what you're looking for, but it's starting to fail, which is why there's about a four to seven year time frame on people's stay in these cities until this hamster wheel's over and I need the next. But if you're a thinker, you project into the future to all these horizons that has magic blowing over them and you see hamster wheel after hamster wheel after endless treadmill after endless treadmill. The secular gospel is beginning to fail. Why? Because it essentially is trying to promise you the kingdom but without the king. And we don't get the kingdom without the king. What did Jesus say to the woman at the well? He said, woman, you can drink from this well or any other well down here. But you're going to eventually be thirsty again. But I am living water. And anybody who drinks from me will never thirst again. In me, you will really find what you're looking for because what you're really after is the joy and the peace and the patience and the satisfaction and the wholeness and the completion that comes from knowing the king. These are the things of heaven and billionaires can't buy them. And like millennials arriving in the Bahamas, only to find relief tents and cheese sandwiches. The hype is not delivering. And people, I just feel on a massive scale, are feeling it. That this is the greatest party that apparently nobody can find. To quote John Mark Comer, this is our cultural moment. The secular gospel is beginning to fail. And I say that with so much humility and once again, that us for them spirit, not an us against them versus them, I told you so spirit. It's actually not Christianity. That's like a tradition that masquerades as the way of Jesus, but that's not the heart of God. Those are his kids. And I used to be there and so did you. This church is full of prodigals or else what are any of us doing here? But the time is now to go and get them. A moment is being created, a space for the church to do what the church does is right in front of us right now. Ben, you can come up or else I'm gonna talk for another hour. Um, I like that amen, by the way. Um, when I was 18, I moved to Boulder for college and I really had kind of everything going for me in college. That's why we read books of the Bible like Daniel and we all relate to Daniel. No, I'm Shadrach, I'm Meshach. Well, to be honest, I, uh, I've had a lot of King Nebuchadnezzar in that spirit in me my entire life. Um, because I had, I mean, everything on paper. School was going great, med school was looking great. A lot of friends, a girlfriend, we threw parties like, four nights a week, but yet at the end of the day, it's like, man, there's some, there's still a gap that for whatever reason, I can't bridge. And I'm living in like one of the most beautiful cities in the world, one of the greatest countries on this planet with so much just at my fingertips and I'm not, I'm not finding it. And when you don't know Jesus and you don't know a transcendent God who's out there beyond everything that's under the sun, that is a very hopeless feeling. A lot of you know my story. My junior year of college, right smack in the middle of that is where I, I met Jesus on a Tuesday night. And everything about my life completely changed. 
Um, I say that to say, I know what the world's offering you. I also know you might be here because it's not working. And I'm, I'm here to also say that can be a very beautiful letdown. The moment you come to the end of yourself, you find the beginning of God. And what I couldn't explain then, I now have the language for because I understand Ecclesiastes chapter three, that God has placed eternity into the heart of every human being, in your heart, in your soul. You have an indentation, Christian, the size of forever. And you feel that. Like, I don't need to convince you. And that's the reason we move from city to city, treadmill to treadmill, job to job, relationship to relationship, and high to high, trying desperately to fill that. And that's why there's a time frame on all of those things, because it works until it doesn't. There's always that Babylon magic that's promising you a new brochure, but the hype you'll start to realize is not matching my experience. And so I'll explain it this way. I officiate a lot of weddings and I really, really enjoy it. In every wedding I do, I feel this urgency to sort of explain this concept of this eternal groove indentation that is in your soul. And I use 1 John 4, 19. It's a verse that says, we love each other because God first loved us. So we receive love from him Therefore, we can love each other. So there's two words for love. In English, we just have one word, and it's love. But in the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, there's all kinds of different words and definitions for love. This one verse utilizes two of them. The first is the Greek word agape. We receive this agape. It is the perfect, unconditional love that God has for you. It does not change from week to week. You're not better at sinning than this love is at unconditionally receiving and accepting you exactly the way you are. It is consistent when you are not. It is eternal. Only God can perfectly love with agape. So that's why we, we receive agape and then we turn towards each other and now we have something to offer and something to give. And this version of love is synonymous with the Hebrew word ahava. And ahava is what's called the love of the will. The love of the will, that basically two people can stand up at an altar, look each other in the eye and make a promise. I am choosing to love you. It's based on a decision, not on butterflies or feelings. I love butterflies and feelings, but what are you going to do when those fly away? I mean, how weak is that love if it's only a feeling? Ahava is a love of the will. That come hell or high water. I've seen the wedding ceremony and the honeymoon phase, and I've seen the storms and the valleys of life, but all my chips are in. I'm yours for the rest of my life. No exit doors in my future. I'm not going anywhere kind of love. This is ahava. And the only reason it's possible is because we first receive unconditional agape love in the first place. This is the eternal love that fills this eternal groove. Because so often people will get married without first receiving this agape love, and we will hope and pray and cross our fingers that this person is gonna do that for me. That this person can, can be the size of forever for me. And when you do that, you will put a burden and a weight on top of that person that they will crumble beneath because no matter how awesome they are, they are not forever, they are not God, and they can't complete you. I mean, I love the movie Jerry Maguire, but honestly, that marriage is kind of doomed. I mean, I pray it's not, but if he really, really needs her to complete him, like in every way, I mean, there's, there's a reason every rom-com ends at the wedding and the credits roll. 
There's a reason. So my Savior has taken care of that for me. The sin problem that I can't fix, this eternity problem that that person can't fix, or this new thing can't fix, this new brochure can't fix. And now I just, at weddings, I tell people, now the weight's off, man. You're already saved, you're already complete, and now you just get to walk hand in hand through life with your best friend, actually enjoying each other, and pointing each other to the one thing, the one God who is actually the answer, the God who can do what no person or thing or high or job or new city could ever do. And marriage is so much better. A new job is so much better. Denver is so much better. Austin is so much better. Life is so much better. Kids are so much better when you don't need them to complete you because you already have a God who has solved that eternity problem in your heart and soul for you. Church, we have an answer for the sin problem. It does not live within you. It is outside and beyond you, a perfect God who knew no sin and became sin to take the sin from you and give you his righteousness and perfection. It is completely yours for free. And in case you're wondering, what's the catch? There's not one, there's not. And he's bringing you back to Eden. And those echoes you sense from Eden, I would argue is not the Eden behind you, but the one in front of you that is calling you home. The kingdom of heaven is here. And so if you look at the patterns of history, the tide of secularism for a while now in our cities has been at high tide. It's been at high tide. And it has seemed the ways of Jesus, if you will, have been at low tide. But as the experiment fails and as the hype proves to not be what it's offering, that tide will go back out. And if you know how the ocean works, out there beyond the breakers is a force that is brewing, that comes in with strength. And all I'm saying is there is a space being created unlike ever before. I really believe this. I'm not the boy who cries prophecy. I've never been that. But I just believe, not just from me, but from talking to to so many prayer warriors and pastors who are the generation in front of me who have said something is shifting. And this next decade, as space is being created for the church to be the church. And so I guess my, my announcement is just, let's go, you guys because the time is right now because we know what the answer is because we have found it it's Jesus there is only one solution to the broken human heart there is only one answer to this indentation of eternity and it is not a new mindset or a new product or a new ad it is not a new it's not a new city it's not a new leader it's not a new relationship it's not a new fill in the blank it is a person and his name is Jesus Christ Austin Denver and Brussels we have the solution His name is Jesus and he is here not for religion, but for a relationship. And so if I can bring this full circle and read Ephesians 5 one more time, wake up from your sleep and climb out of your coffins because Christ will show you the light. So watch your step and use your head and make the most of every chance you get because these are desperate times. The time is now. Some of you have known this whole God thing is real and you've known it for a while, but you've been delaying surrendering your life to him and my message for you is just the time is now 
A lot of us have had coworkers or friends that we've wanted to invite to church and we've been delaying that or putting it off because we would say, man, my place of work is dark and my apartment complex is dark and my school is dark and my city is dark and my message for you is good. That's why God put you there to be a light in that dark space. And the time is now for you to be an agent of invitation. Don't wait. A lot of you have been on the edge of going all in with your generosity and really seeing what that feels like to hand your treasure with open hands to God and live this way and you're waiting for a raise and all I'm saying is if you have that posture no matter how many raises you get you're still gonna have that posture and my challenge for you is the time is now I want you to see and experience what it looks like to live with open hands and watch as your world gets bigger and bigger in every way and for a lot of us we We've been, we've been sitting on the edge of the deep end or waiting in the shallow end of our faith. Why? Because it's way safer just to have enough God to get me to heaven. And you know what? You're right. It's way safer. But you miss out on so much of the goodness of God and what he has for you in the shallow end. The goal of your life is not to arrive safely at death one day. The time is now for you to dive headfirst in with no inhibition and try this God thing for all that it is. The time is now because the tides are shifting and a new day is dawning and a space is being created for the church to be the church. David said life is a mist here today and gone tomorrow that we're not even guaranteed next weekend. <laughs> And after the year we've all had, we know that better than we've ever known it before. So today is the day of salvation. This is the week of invitation. This is your season of generosity. And this year is your year to go all in. Amen. Church, will you stand? Really quick. Some of you, I already said this. You've known for a while this God thing is real. And you have been delaying, surrendering your life to Him. And I just, I feel such a pressing urgency to tell you today is the day of salvation. And what you're feeling is not the burden of religion, it is the invitation of a relationship with a God who knows your name and is calling you right now. And this sin problem, this eternity problem, he really has solved it and it really is free. And so let's just bow our heads and close our eyes at every location just for privacy to create a space. If I'm talking to you and really it's God talking to you right now, today is your day for everything to change. And if you simply just want Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, to give your life to following Him, to say, yes, take my sin and give me wholeness and perfection through grace by my faith. I just wanna invite you to boldly raise your hand right now, wherever you are, raise your hand across every location, every city, every continent, to know that you know that you know where you're going forever one day. Just raise your hand. I love this, even in this room right now, Come on, God's talking to you. This is your day. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. The time is now. Amen. Red Rocks, you can open your eyes and we can make some noise because heaven just got a little bit more crowded. Come on. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. 
I just believe God loves bold prayers. And I'm just feeling gutsy right now. And the Bible says where two or more are gathered, I mean, heaven just falls in an extra special kind of way. And I wanna combine two or more being gathered with bold prayers. And I wanna ask all of us to not just listen to me pray this, but plead for God to move. I wanna pray for a move of God unlike we've ever seen in our nation and in our cities. We're about to sing and proclaim a, a song called God of Revival. And I want us to pray and sing it like we actually believe it. Because I've heard recently, studies are showing that barring a move of God, the church in the West is at an irreversible decline. And the first time I heard that, I started panicking a little bit. And I went, oh my gosh, an irreversible decline other than a move of God. And then I remembered we have a God who moves and a God who loves bold prayers. And the stage might be set for him to flex his muscles and show off a little bit. And so pray this with me. Jesus, we love you. And right here and right now, we just boldly come before you. And I pray that you're a, you're a God of revival. You're a God who moves. And I pray in Jesus' name, that's exactly what you do. I pray that this tide of revival would come in like a tsunami to hit millions and maybe billions of people who have no idea what is coming for them. The love and this grace and this freedom and this wholeness that is absolutely free. Would you use us as agents of invitation to go and get your sons and daughters who are far from you right now? Would we get them into the church to experience what you think about them? Jesus, would the things of heaven start raining on our cities as our prayers and our praise go up? Would your unconditional agape love come down? And as we receive it, would we return to the world and unconditionally love them with the kind of love that stands out and makes the world wonder like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, like a lighthouse to the lost? Would you use every single one of our Red Rocks locations to welcome home Prodigals. I picture the father on the, on the front porch scanning the horizons, waiting for so many of his sons and daughters to come home to throw the actual greatest party of all time, where the hype actually lives up to the experience and matches the brochure that heaven is celebrating right now because it just got a little bit more crowded and we ain't seen nothing yet. You are the God of revival, so Jesus, do what you do best. In your name we pray. Somebody say amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.